want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We continue the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Do you guys know who Greg Luganus is? Greg Luganus? Ah, Linda knows. Yeah, so I just heard about him this week. Uh, so he was this, basically the Michael Phelps of the Olympics in the 80s, uh, except instead of swimming, he was a diver, right? And so, uh, he's been both, he's been called both the greatest American diver and probably the greatest diver in history. So this guy got all these gold medals in the 80s for the Olympics for diving. And I heard about him because I, I read this really great story about him. And this guy, uh, he was at this competition, Greg was, and this a reporter or something asked him, like, okay, how do you um, cope with the competitiveness of international diving? Like, what's your secret to cope with all the pressure and the stress and the, and the competition? And Greg replied that when he climbs to the board, he, he takes a deep breath and he says, even if I blow this dive... My mother will still love me. That's confidence. He knew it, and he leaned into it. Uh, anytime someone asks me how tall I am, what I like to say is that my grandmama thinks I'm six feet tall. Confidence, right? That's all the confidence I need. But it's, it's funny how much confidence matters, actually. Uh, when I was growing up, I was told that I was a good speller, and so from that point on, I was determined to, determine to be as good, of good a speller and pronouncer as I could be. Now, I give other people a really hard time when they pronounce things wrong, and whenever I do it, like, like once every decade, like they really pile it on me. They really pile it on me. So there's a study that's been done, though, that uh, I, I'm sure more than one, but this study found that individuals who are told that they are incompetent at something or at accomplishing a goal perform much worse than individuals who are told that they are competent at the same task. Confidence makes all the difference. Last week, we saw all the rich blessings that we have in Christ. We're, we're blessed in every conceivable, abundant way, and the truth is all of those blessings are already ours. We don't have to wait to get them. We, we wait to fully realize them, but we have them now. But that doesn't mean we automatically believe it or know it, right? Just because these truths are great to, for us and, and true of us doesn't mean we automatically always believe that that's true. In fact, one of the great struggles of being a Christian is to believe this, to believe we have, we are eternally loved, to believe that every one of our sins is forgiven, to believe we have everything that we're looking for that we need. That's one of the great struggles of the Christian life is to believe that. And in this passage, Paul turns from those blessings to pray for the Ephesians that they may know who they are in Christ more and more. So he says, here are all of your blessings in Christ. Here is how you're tremendously, eternally, infinitely blessed in Christ. Now my prayer is that you would know this more and more and more. Paul is saying, this is true of you now, so lean into it. This is true of you now, so dig deeper. 
It's already yours now, so grasp it by faith. And Paul shows us and he models for us what that looks like. And so with that, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and begin reading verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The first thing that Paul models for us is simply to pray. Pray. That's what this passage is, and it's how he prays for the Ephesians, the Ephesian church. And so Paul begins this passage by saying, for this reason. So that's important because what what Paul is saying is that because of this blessedness that we already possess, because these things are already true, because this is our status in Christ, this is now my prayer for this reason. And so what this means is that you haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. Why is it that the people with the most insane diets and workout routines are the ones who are already strong? It's not like a bodybuilder is like, okay, I've reached my level of like bicep circumference and my level of strength, so now I'm just going to relax and do what I want. No, just because a bodybuilder might already be strong doesn't mean he can do what he wants. He has to continually dig deeper. So just because we have all of these tremendous blessings, just because we're already forgiven, just because we already have this inheritance doesn't mean that we can just say, all right, we're good. That's great. Paul himself wrote in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. So if, if the Apostle Paul himself acknowledges that he has not made it and that he has far to go, if he says that, what makes you think that you can think otherwise? In fact, it's one indication that you're a Christian that you continually seek hard after God. A.W. Tozer wrote, I want to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality of our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. And prayer is one of the primary and vital ways that we do this seeking. But what's so helpful about what Paul is doing here is that he shows us 
that prayer doesn't happen as we focus on praying. Prayer happens as we focus on God. Paul Miller wrote, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they are focusing on praying, not on God. Prayer is not the center getting to know a person. God is the center. One of the most helpful practices if you are going to pray is not to focus on praying. It's before you ever utter a word to to focus on God before you ever start praying. To, To focus on who you're praying to, to focus on his fatherliness, to focus on his kindness and his goodness and his grace, to focus on, like like Paul is, how he has already richly blessed you. And if you want something that will spring worship and praise into your prayer life, it's that. Prayer is not earning God's favor. It's a response to how God already favors you in Christ. Secondly, Paul models for us to give thanks. He models for us to give thanks. Mal and I have had lots of ups and downs. We we uh, will be married almost six years. Uh, well, not we will be married six years in August. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll be married almost six years in July, and we will be six years in, in August. So how about that? Uh, so, uh, just recently you've heard me talk about Willis sleep regression, right? In, uh, past couple of weeks. And, and, and that coincided with the lockdown. So not only were we not getting good sleep, we also had a very, um, inconsolable baby and we couldn't go anywhere. We were stuck in the house together with each other, with a crying baby. And, and we, it was a low point for us. We were emotionally low and it was so easy to forget how good God had been to us. And I'll be honest with you, as soon as we stopped wallowing in our self-pity and gave thanks for the ways that he was good, our whole outlook changed. Giving thanks is powerful. And not just, uh, okay, I'll try to give thanks. It's really focusing on, on how God has been good. And that's what Paul does. He, he writes, let's, let's jump back in the text, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul, here, he focuses, though, on on two things to give thanks for. First, he gives thanks for their fruit. Right? He says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love. That's their, their fruit, and he gives thanks for that. So, in other words, the blessings that he has said of true of them is coming out in their lives, right? It's easy to think of our blessedness in Christ as like these invisible Christmas presents waiting for us in the clouds yet to be rewrapped. No, these blessings have real life, real world, visible consequences and results. During one particularly hard season of depression for me, I kept wondering why, like, God, why do you keep ignoring me? Like, I'm, I've been holding on. Right? I, I've been, I have not abandoned you. Right? I have not resorted to sin. Like, I, I've been faithful to you. Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you pulling me out of this? But what hit me was the fact that I wasn't the one hanging on. It was God who has, the whole time had been hanging on to me. That the only reason I had stayed faithful was because God was sustaining my faith the whole way.
just like prayer, thankfulness doesn't come from focusing on the fruit itself, but it comes from focusing on the God behind the fruit. But Paul doesn't just give thanks for other people. Or I'm sorry, he doesn't give thanks for fruit, he gives thanks for other people. What does he say? I do not cease to give thanks for you. It's not wrong to give thanks for material possessions. In fact, we should. But how often are you thankful for other people? How thankful are you for the people in your life who have encouraged you, supported you, and and prayed for you and sharpened you? One of the greatest blessings in life is that God gives us people who point us to Christ. And that is an eternal blessing. That God cares so much about you that He gives you other people who continually want to point you to Jesus. Don't discount how God cultivates your faith through other people. Rather, give thanks for them. Paul models for us to pray. He models for us to give thanks. And and thirdly, he models for us to ask. So, let's... Paul says, he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not give cease to give thanks for you, remembering in, in, in my prayers. And here's the ask, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Why? So that you may know, one, what is the hope to which he has called you, Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So essentially what Paul asks God is that he would help them to know, to grow in knowledge. That's this whole spirit of wisdom and and revelation. He just wants them to grow in this deep, intimate, spiritual knowledge of three things. God's hope, God's inheritance, and God's power. Now, how many of you have prayed to know your hope more? I don't think I, I've ever prayed, God, help me to hope more. I've I prayed, God, give me hope, right? When I feel like I don't have any hope, but I don't think I've prayed, help me to know my hope more. And, and hope, hope though is a critical piece of the Christian life because it's not, it's not wishful thinking. This hope is not like, like I really like hope this is going to happen, but I have some doubt about it. No, this, this hope is like a confidence. It, it will happen. It's the same kind of hope that the author of Hebrews talks about in, in chapter 12, verse 2. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, his, his hope endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul calls this hope in Romans 5 too, the, the hope of the glory of God. We don't, we don't know this hope automatically, right? We don't, this, when we wake up in the morning, we don't wake up with, with this ready knowledge of this hope that we have. We have to ask to know it more. We have to ask that we experience it now, that what we experience now, what will be true of us later. Paul also asks that we know the riches of his and glorious inheritance. Now notice here what Paul says. He doesn't say um, that you may know 
what are the riches of, of your glorious inheritance. He says that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. What are the riches of God's glorious inheritance? Now, that's really weird. God has an inheritance. What's, what is God's inheritance? I won't spend too much time explaining it, but God's inheritance is the people whom he has redeemed for himself. This prayer then is that they would understand just how incredibly precious and valuable they are in God's sight. You're God's inheritance. If you are in Christ, you are a treasured possession of God the Father. Like, like John read today from Deuteronomy about the, about the nation of Israel. That's now true of the church. We are God's chosen people. We are God's nation of priests. We are God's treasured possession. You are, you are precious to Him. Paul prays also that they may know the greatness of God's power. Specifically, specifically, he, he wants them to know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Just as Peter O'Brien comments on this verse, the resources of in Christ that are available to believers are enormous. Enormous. What all of this amounts to, what all of Paul is trying to say is that our primary prayer should be that we understand and know intimately who we are in Christ. It may already be up here and it is already up here for many of us. Yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm in Christ. I know I'm forgiven. But our prayer should be increase my knowledge and my faith of that, of what I believe, that it may become more real to me. God, increase my faith in what I already believe so that it will become more and more real to me. And the amazing thing is, is that God guarantees that He will answer that prayer. Have you ever, have you ever considered the fact that God puts prayers in His Word that, that we can pray ourselves knowing that He will answer them? Like He gives you, He's like, you want to know what to pray for? Here! This is what I will answer. These are pre-approved, ready-made, God-ordained prayers. Pray them. Ask, ask this, staking it on His promise. God, you said. God, this is what you said. You, you put your reputation on this word. You put your reputation on this prayer. Now please answer. Stake it on the promise. So Paul models for us to pray, to give thanks, to ask, and lastly, he models for us to meditate. Now, when I say meditate, many of you might have an image in your, of your, in your head of a bald guy sitting on a pillow, cross-legged, his fingers together, and he's going, oh, That's not what I mean. To meditate isn't to empty your mind. It's, it's to fill your mind. 
And, and meditating simply means to dwell, to dwell on something, to fill your mind with something. It's, it's like a tea bag. You don't get a tea, you don't get tea by dipping the tea bag in the water and then just pulling it back out and saying, voila, I have tea. No, you have to let the tea bag steep. You have to let it sit and soak. And so in the last part of this passage, Paul dwells, what he does is he dwells on the kind of power that God works in believers. Let's look at verse 19 again. So, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. When we think of God's power, I think a lot of our minds naturally go to creation. And God's God's power is seen in creation, right? We think of him being able to create the multitude of stars and planets that there are um, out of nothing with the breath of his mouth. And we're like, man, that is awesome. That's so cool. And that's right. But Paul says the full extent of God's power is in his raising and exaltation of Christ. The full extent of God's power, hear me, is in his raising and exaltation of Christ. What that means is, if you want to know God, if you want to be awed by His power and by His love, if you want to be lost in the ocean of His grace, you go there. That's where you go. To the gospel is where you go. To Christ living and dying and being raised and ruling on high is where our mind goes if we want to be absorbed by the grace and goodness, kindness and love and infinite wonders of our God. We ought to never move beyond this gospel, beyond this message. Do you want to worship? That worship doesn't happen primarily because we sing the right songs or because we have the right kind of music. No, it happens when you grasp again and again and again by faith all that God has done for you in Christ. That's how worship happens. A.W. Tozer wrote, God is so vastly wonderful so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. And where is God maximally revealed? In his gospel. That's where God is maximally revealed. So when we want joy in God, what that means is that we need to understand and know and experience more and more and more the greatness of God's infinite gospel. Because these truths should thrill us. When when Paul is talking about Christ here, these truths should thrill us because they are the truths that will thrill us for an eternity. So what Paul's point is, is that The gospel is true of you, Christian. The gospel is true of you. You, God doesn't count any of your sin against you. He's not disappointed in you. Because you are so wrapped up in the identity of Christ, He can never be disappointed with Christ. 
so he'll never be disappointed with you. Christian, you are daily covered in grace that you don't even know because you daily sins in, in ways that you can't even see. And God the Father is still covering you with his grace. He has an inheritance that, that you daily scorn because you decide to sin anyway, and yet he preserves it for you and keeps it for you and seals you by his spirit. That's true of you right now. What's true of you right now is that you are eternally, passionately, deeply loved by God the Father. What's true of you now is that you are already favored. Not just, okay, I've forgiven them and I'm tolerating them. It's, I've forgiven them and I love them and I rejoice over them and I'm happy over them. God is, God the Father is happy with you if you are in Christ. The God of the universe who created all things and sustains all things, who is sovereign over all events, history, and people, is happy with you in Christ. You don't need anything else but to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this. That's what we need. We don't need more programs. We don't need more shining lights. We don't need more instruments. We don't need any, any of that. What we need is to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this love that is infinitely and eternally available to us by faith. Recite these truths. Dwell on them. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know them. Let that be our prayer as Christians. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, often when we come to Your Word and we read these truths that, that we may know Your power, that You worked in Christ to raise Him, too often our hearts don't leap at this. Too often our, 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 our souls don't overflow in worship. It's because our hearts are hard and, and cold and, and we lack faith. But Father, because we are already favored in Jesus, because we already have matchless grace available to us, God, will you please do this? Will you help us to rejoice in you? Will you help us to delight in what you have done for us in Christ? God, will you help us to believe more and more and more that Christ Jesus was a man? That Christ Jesus lived. That Christ Jesus never sinned in, in His thoughts. He never sinned in His words. He never sinned in His deeds or His attitudes or motivations or intentions. He never once sinned, but He lived and did all things maximally to Your glory. God, give us faith to believe that this Christ was the same one that You sent to die for us who do sin in our thoughts and who do sin in our words, who do sin in our deeds, who do sin in our motivations and in our intentions, who, who not only sin before we met Christ, but sin continually after we met Him. God, give us faith to believe that this is the Christ that You sent to die for us. Give us faith to believe that this Christ was, was punished, was crushed, absorbed every ounce of your wrath that was directed at us so that now, 2,000 years later after that, we are the recipients of the grace that He purchased. Give us faith to believe that, God. Give us faith. Give us faith that You are great enough, that Your love is deep enough, that Your grace is wonderful enough, that that is what we need to be happy and joyful and content. 
Give us faith to go deeper into the realities, the infinite, eternal realities that are ours in Christ. Give us faith, Father. Give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of You that we may know the hope to which You have called us. That we may know, God, the the riches of Your inheritance, Your glorious inheritance in the saints, God, that we may know what is Your immeasurable power at work in us. Give us faith to believe these things. In Jesus' name, Amen.